We're going to turn in our Bibles to the first chapter of the book of Romans. And I'm going to read the first six verses to us. It's on page 594, if you are following uh, in the Pew Bible. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, a called apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Well, i got to be honest with you. Well, I feel like I've got something important to say. You know, and it's a bit of a, a confrontational sort of uh, circumstance. I'm always guilty of beating about the bush. When I go into a situation and I've got to say something, I talk about anything and everything except what I need to say. After a great struggle, I come round to the point and say what I come to say. Uh, so if, so if, if there's ever a, something I need to have said to you in the past, I'm getting round to it. But I'll be talking about anything before I do. Now what I like about Paul is that he is the complete opposite to me. And uh, I'd like to be like him. You know, when we, when we looked at the book of Galatians, we saw that he had something to say. And what he had to say was filled him with anger and, uh, and wrath. You know, and even before, or with hardly a greeting, he gets on with what he had to say. I'm amazed, he says, that you are so soon uh, departing from the gospel to which you were called. You know, that's the type of person Paul is. He gets on with it. And he's going to tell us exactly what he wants us to know. You know, and um, you're in this passage of scripture. There are people that he's never met before. He's never met them at this point. They were people that he'd heard of. They were living an awful long way away. Never met them. Had never been in their presence whatsoever. And yet he wants to share something with them. He wants to show them something that is burning in his heart and that is on his heart, on his mind. You know, and when we look at the, uh, the first verse that we are dealing with, and we've dealt with now for the last two weeks, is our third time that we are gleaning something from the first verse. It's the gospel that he wants us to know. It's the gospel that he wanted these Roman Christians to have an understanding of. And it's the gospel that he wants us here in this place tonight to have an understanding of. Do you know what Paul manages to get the word gospel in the first verse? I don't know if you can remember when we started uh, the book of, or the first epistle of John, we were ages introducing it. I was talking about everything and anything before we got to the point. But here, we are straight into the juggler. 
We are straight into what Paul wants to tell us. It's all about the gospel. And as we read this, uh, this verse, we can see that it's not just any old gospel. You know, there are loads of gospels. Loads of gospels. In fact, I was reading today that the word gospel comes from... Um, I don't know if it's Latin or Greek or whatever. Greek, I think. Greek. Uh, what am I saying? Latin. You know, whenever an emperor would go into a far-flung country and fight the battle for supremacy in this, diff- in this certain land, when he'd win the battle and he'd um, accomplish peace and authority in that place, he would send a herald back to Rome with the news that the enemy is defeated and peace and authority has been established. That herald was an angel. A messenger, of course. The word angel is just the word, the Greek word for messenger. It was an angel. But he had in his heart the gospel. The proclamation that the emperor had won the battle and established his authority and brought peace to the land. You know, that's what the gospel is. Someone has come and fought a battle and has accomplished great things and the gospel now is, is heralds telling people of the authority and the peace and the victory that Christ has won on our behalf. And that's exactly what the gospel is. And that's what this gospel is. You we call, it's called the gospel of God. You know, and isn't that so important the gospel of God do you know critics of the Christian faith would accuse us of creating God in our own image they would say that we are weak people who tend to hide our insecurities behind a make believe deity that we can cling to that we can run to, and even sometimes we can blame when things go wrong. We can cling to this imaginary uh, friend that we have, this comfort blanket that we long to hold close to us. has no power or strength or even personality, but in our minds we've created this entity that will get us through life. That is the, the criticism that Christianity has in today's world. But you see, when we read this passage of Scripture, we are dealing with the gospel of God. You know, and we have neither created the God of the gospel or the gospel of God. Because it is He, the Bible tells us, who is the originator. It is He who is the first cause. He exists. And in fact, the the writer to the Hebrews tells us that he who comes to him must first of all believe that he exists. We haven't made him up. We haven't invented him or created him to fulfill a void within us. He is. And we believe that he is. And he has showed us himself in so many different ways. You know, we consider his credentials throughout the pages of Scripture. We come to know a God who is eternal. We come to know a God who is creator. We come to know a God who is sustainer. We come to know a God who is redeemer. 
And such a revelation of God is the gospel itself. That is the good news. That God is God. And He is the originator of all things. The creator, the sustainer and the redeemer of all things. You see it's impossible for us to rend the gospel apart from God. Because without God there would be no gospel. And without the gospel we wouldn't know God. So they are both intrinsically joined together. So when we are studying one aspect of it, we are studying all of God. It's the character of God that brings light to our understanding of the gospel. It's the character of God that actually cries out gospel. You know, among his many attributes, as you know, are the twin towers of justice and righteousness. Here is the God as he has revealed himself to us in justice unrighteousness. They are characteristics that at one and the same time send shivers of fear down our spines as well as comfort for our souls. It's the same aspects of God. His righteousness and His justice you know as sinners the thought of that, the thought of God's righteousness in the light of our own sinfulness you know is enough to send us call in for the rocks to fall on us how can we get away from this holy glare this judgmental person that knows our every thought, our hearts our deeds, our motives how can we get away from him he's so righteous and we know that he is just and therefore he he's so frightening so frightening as sinners we would call upon the rocks to fall on us to hide us from his piercing gaze gaze as sinners his justice stops our mouths how can we ever speak against him how can we ever protest our innocence you know the world before him has to be dumb because we are guilty as charged as we cower before him concurring with his holy judgments but then on the other hand Aren't we those, aren't those same characteristics of righteousness and justice something that we really long for in our own lives and in our own society? Aren't we longing for righteous institutions in our own land? You know, again, once again, this, this week we have seen how righteous we really are. You know, with this massive uh, problem that Volkswagen have in now, what is it all about? It's about people acting unrighteously. Unrighteously. You know, and all the time, we are, people are being found out. The other day it was the horse meat scandal. People acting unrighteously. The time before that, it was the um, expenses scandal. The time before that, it is the sex scandal. You know, and all these, the, the, the paedophile scandal, all these scandals are being opened up. You know, they're, not, they're there all the time. You know, we are longing for justice. We are longing for righteousness in our institutions in Great Britain today. You know, we are so quick to point the finger to those countries that are underdeveloped. You know, the African countries, and we look and think, look at all the corruption that's in those governments. Oh, if only you could get rid of the corruption that's happening out there. And yet every day throws up another level of corruption in our own 
uh, in our own backyard. You know, but with God, and this is the beauty of God, with God is there is a consistency that betrays His standards. His standards are there. And they have never dropped from there. And they never will drop from there. So you can trust a person who is righteous. You can trust him to uphold his righteousness and his justice. You can trust him to walk in his own ways. And there will never be a time when he will be any different. In fact, he is called the rock. The rock which won't move. His work is perfect, says Moses. All his ways are just. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. You see, we can see that his righteousness affects us in two different ways. One in guilt, one in peace. It's all according of our relationship with him. Because the other, on the other hand, his attributes also include his mercy, his love, and his grace, which come as a sweet relief to you and to me. Sweet relief to those whose eyes are wide open concerning their own weaknesses and their own sinfulness. You see, the pure dread of his righteousness melts away when we see his love and his mercy at work. And we can cry out like the psalmist of old. You know what? It's a brilliant verse. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to to our iniquities and it's almost as if we contradicted ourselves because he should punish us according to our sins he should uh, punish us according to our iniquities because he's righteous and he's just how on earth then Lord can you continue your being righteous and just and still the same be this way towards us and the answer of course is that all of these attributes are met in Christ then the psalmist again says that mercy and truth, righteousness and peace have kissed each other in the person of his son. No and um, he has become uh, for us the, the, the satisfaction of all the attributes of God. These seemingly conf- conflicting attributes of righteousness and justice on the one hand and mercy and grace on the other hand. They are met in Christ. And they are satisfied in Christ on our behalf as He becomes our veritable substitute. Takes our sins away and makes them His very own. And then, guilty of humanity's rebellion, of its immorality and its violence, He pays the price with His own precious blood upon the tree. Or to see the pain written on your face bearing the awesome weight of sin every bitter thought every evil deed crowning your blood-stained brow this is the power of the cross Christ became sin for us took the blame bore the wrath we stand forgiven at the cross Man. you and that's it that's it if you want to you can stay home on a Thursday and watch EastEnders for the next few years 
because that is what Romans is all about you're not going to use nothing else other than that other than that or to see the pain written on your face bearing the awesome weight of sin every bitter thought every evil deed crowning your blood-stained brow this the power of the cross Christ became sin for us took the blame bore the wrath we stand forgiven at the cross everything that I will say from now on on a Thursday night until the unforeseeable future will come out of this amazing thought for there is no difference says Paul for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus it's the gospel of God it's the gospel of God the just and righteous one the mercy the one full of mercy and grace and that gospel those attributes have been have met in Christ and it's he who has won the battle for us it's he who has won the peace it's he who has won the joy it's he who brings to us eternal life but it's the love of God that has driven it all together the love of God the gospel of God the good news you know what I know I know I don't think this is what this is true of you but as I was sitting uh, right in this uh, today I put on I know what you're thinking I know what you're thinking you know like this is how the world would think you're thinking that this must be a different God that we read about in the Old Testament how can this God be such a God of love and grace how can this God um, pour out his wrath upon his only son and leave us the sinners go free you see when we read the Old Testament we find they say this righteous brute who could would nuke cities who would flood worlds whose anger flared from his nostrils on every page that's what they say we would find if we read the Old Testament and then we come to this New Testament and we see this benevolent gracious forgiving God you know and there must be this uh, confusion in our minds because this God of the New Testament must be the Dr. Jekyll to his Mr. Hyde in the Old Testament there's love now where there was wrath there's grace where there was fury there's warmth where once there was just a cold hard justice surely we have a different God in the New Testament or surely he must have changed into something more gracious and more 
approachable. But we know, don't we, that nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, as we read on in our text, we'll see that God hasn't changed one iota. You know, the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament weren't there to give God time to mellow a little. No, we have to. We have to mellow, tone down, be more amenable, more approachable sometimes. But God didn't have to change. God didn't have to mellow a little. Because when we read the scriptures, we can see that his love has always dwarfed that of any of his rivals. His love blows us away. Wherever you open the Bible, whatever you read, you will be amazed by the love of God. Yes, he flooded the world. Is that love? Is that love? But I ask you the question, would you have wanted to live in a world where wickedness or the wickedness of man was great in the earth but every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually you know each one of us as we read the newspapers and look at the television each one of us weakly recoil when we see the atrocities that man is doing to man today but we repulsed by some of the things and we, the question we ask is how can it get any worse than this can man get any lower than this is there another another level of depravity that man can sink to you know one of the questions we ask is where do we come into where is it all going to end these are the questions of, not on just Christian's lips but everyone's lips and do you know that even today we haven't we have yet to slide as far down the debauched pit as this pre-flood world. You know, Jesus said, didn't he, as the days of Noah, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. He hasn't come yet. We haven't reached that yet. We haven't got down that far yet. You know, and we are recoiling daily, even now. What would our world have been like today if God hadn't stepped in and done something as radical as the flood I dread to think I wondered if he would exist today if he hadn't have taken away this core of evil that was on the earth and of course Sodom and Gomorrah is another case where the slide into debauchery had to be halted you know we are getting there we get into that place where God saw the world before the flood we get in there in cities which are coming, becoming more like Sodom and Gomorrah as the days go on. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And it's thanks only to the grace of God. Thanks only to the grace of God in His righteous judgments beforehand in stopping the, uh, the, the canker that was in the world those many thousands of years ago. And it's the grace of God in raising people like you and I to bring grace to this nation that we belong to but when we come to this part of the scripture this gospel that we're looking at look at it again it's the gospel of God 
but it's promised before through his prophets in the old in the holy scriptures you see this old testament that we have that is so vilified by those who would want to disgrace the book comes up as a book of grace they try to disgrace it but there is so much grace in it there is as much grace I've always said in the Old Testament as there there is in the New Testament you know and those of us who know our God would expect nothing different you know when you look at the, the, the spine of Israel's history the spine of the Old Testament it concerns itself purely with the gospel it's gospel oriented from beginning to end nothing else but the gospel yes it it is encapsulated in the history of a nation Israel it's, it's all about Israel and how God deals with Israel but you see how God deals with Israel is how the gospel actually works if you want to know what the gospel is doing in your life then check out the history of Israel listen they were called out of the world you know we're dealing with that on a Sunday morning here when Abraham was called out of the earth of the Chaldees and brought to a place that God was to show him and eventually give him so that this nation should grow up into adulthood and become the, the shop window for God throughout the world they, they were called out of the world they were redeemed by the blood of a lamb they were accompanied by the presence of God they were kept by the power of God you know that grace is seen in his choice grace is seen in his patience grace is seen in his provision and grace is seen in his protection do we need anything more than that as Christians today for us grace is seen in his choice I have chosen you you haven't chosen me I have chosen you grace is seen in his redemption I have what he said to the Israelites I've given nations for you I've called you by my name you are mine I will protect you you know this is what God does for us from the call of Abraham to the redemption of his people from Egypt to the giving of the law including the sacrificial system along with his peculiar priesthood to the arrival of the prophets God was preparing the world for his own personal parousia and come in and come in and this history the spine of this history deals with the preparation for that great coming 2,000 years ago when God himself stood upon the earth that he had created and walked upon it for three and a half years and bled upon it of course the Old Testament is full of the gospel the gospel of grace well I can't see that says one I can't see what you're talking about that doesn't make any sense to me how can I understand that the way God deals with a particular nation in history can be a definition of the gospel how can I understand that I was thinking 
about an archaeologist. Pauline would like to have been an archaeologist. Digging in the dirt with a brush and a little trowel. Brushing things out and finding things. Can you imagine an archaeologist? You would never ever be able to see the outline of the city that he's uncovering. Because his dig was a small little hole in a small little field. You know, you could be forgiven for thinking that I'm in this little hole. I've got this little uh, artifact by you that I'm trying to brush out and keep clean and not break. What is this got to do with this nation that we're looking for, this civilization that they tell me is you? I can't see it. All I can see is a stone. All I can see is a bit of pottery. All I've got is an hole in a field. You know, that man or woman needs to go up in the air in an helicopter and look back and that person will be able to take in the whole picture it's amazing when you look at Time t- Team and all, and all the, the other things that's on the television you know they dig in a big hole you and you're thinking what on earth and then they go up and they see lines going this way and lines going that way you know and you can see the shape of a church or the shape of a village and it's absolutely incredible no one would find it but they go up and look down. You and your little hole will never understand the bigger picture of the city that you were trying to find. But from that perspective, you can see it all. You know, we could call the New Testament tonight, or we could call the book of Romans, an aerial view of the Old Testament. You know, and that's the reason why I read Ephesians 3 to start. Because Paul finds himself in an helicopter in Ephesians 3 no he's he's left the ground he was in this little hole digging this little uh, in this little field digging in this little hole and he's thinking what on earth is all this about I've learned about the rabbis I've learned about uh, uh, Moses I've learned about Abraham I've learned about all these people but all I can see is this little field this little hole and I'm getting nowhere and God said tell you what jump in this helicopter and come up with me and look down at the panorama that is all around you. And that's when he saw it. That's why I read Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men they did not have an helicopter like Paul they were still grappling around in the little hole in a little field but God said come up here and have a look at this and this great big revelation opened up to him and he saw in the Old Testament the gospel of God so plainly he saw that one would come Jesus Christ would come and take away the sins of the whole world he would live he would be born of a virgin we heard that Sunday morning but he was born of a woman in due time born under the law how did Paul find that out? he found it out because he had this different perspective and he saw Jesus Christ as God himself no we will see later on 
how he sort of teaches us that Jesus is God. You know, as I said to you last week, a few moments ago, he was an imposter, a spoiler of religion, until he fell at his feet on the road to Damascus and called him, Lord, what would you want me to do? Why? Because he saw God. They, they just saw light. They heard a voice as they rolled around in their own place. But he saw God himself. Why? Because he was up in his helicopter. Not only did he see Christ come to the earth as the perfect man through the virgin birth who kept the law perfectly. All his life he saw the sacrifice for our sins as he took upon our sins the whole uh, sins of the whole world and paid the price there upon the cross. And then he saw another mystery. A mystery that should fill the socks of you and I. He says, this other mystery is that the Gentiles will take part in all of this. You and me. Up until then, he only concentrated on the Jews. Because God had used the Jews as a channel to bless the Gentiles. The Jews had forgotten that. Years and years ago. That part of the promise to Abraham, I will bless the whole world through you, had been put on the back burner. But Paul brings it out and says, look, it's for you Gentiles, let's go on. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of this promise in Christ through the Gospel. The Gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. You know, and as Paul and as we draw away from the Old Testament and we look back on it, yes, we've been, we're used to the stories. You know, I was brought up in Sunday school. Pity everybody wasn't brought up in Sunday school because there are some great stories in the Old Testament. You know, but to me, they were just great stories. A story here, a story there. A sto- but you know, when you come back and you draw out a little bit and you see how those stories are attached to each other and how they imply this and they bring about that and you see the whole, the whole of God's replen- redemptive plan. Where? In the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. You know, we need the New Testament to show us. Don't get me wrong, we need the Old New Testament. The Old Testament would be double dutch to us. In fact, Paul says that the veil still rests on the eyes of the Jews because the removal of the veil is Christ. And if they don't accept Christ, they will never know what their history was all about. Never. You know, that's why a Jew is so... Um, privilege when he when the veil is gone and Christ has become his saviour he can look at it and think wow what a panorama of redemption I've missed it all these years but now in Christ I can see it I'm in the helicopter looking back and seeing this amazing redemptive plan you know all of God's activities in both testaments are restorative in character the whole book is awash with grace and with mercy. Yes, even the fact that he has revealed his wrath against all unrighteousness. Even that fact is actually bathed in grace. 
David said on Sunday morning, who on earth would run to a saviour that we have no need of? Who would call on the Lord whose righteous character you don't know? It's the whole purpose of creation that God redeem a people of his own with his own blood so they can share eternity with him. But even the bad things. Do you know what? God gets so much bad press when people highlight little things in the, in the Old Testament. <coughs> but even those things were an act of grace. The law was an act of grace. I've told you before that in John chapter 1 and verse 18 it says, I think it's 18, it says, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I've always said, that but shouldn't be there. Because it's put in the grace against law, which God never intended. The law is as much the grace of God as the cross is. The law was brought by Moses, grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Without the law, we wouldn't know our need of Jesus Christ. But with the law, as we saw, as we heard on Sunday morning, with the law, it highlights our need. And we throw ourselves upon the mercy and the grace of God. Yes. This book of Romans, it's about the gospel. And Paul has brought us straight to the point. It's not about any old gospel, but the gospel of God. And I would challenge you to add any time on your hands. I know most of you don't. I challenge you to find anything like this gospel on earth. I tell you why, because it flies in the face of everything that man holds to everything now, 700 people have lost their lives today because they had to go on a pilgrimage because they had to do this because they had to do that it flies in the face of everything that man holds to no even Satan and we've got to give Satan his due he's a wise person he's an intelligent person he's a powerful person you want it is he who infuses his heresy into all of the different and false religions that are in the earth but you see even satan cannot get his head around grace he cannot do it you would think that by now he would have come to the conclusion that god acts in grace and he would form a false religion that had grace at the center but he can't do it he cannot do it he cannot get his head around grace and every religion that he makes up in the hearts and minds of men are exactly the same do this do that and do the other I challenge you to find anything that resembles the gospel of grace and I don't think you will be able to do it Grace. 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 It's beyond all comprehension. It's beyond ours. Because very often we fall out of grace and we get back into the, the rat race of trying to impress. Trying to impress. You know, there are times that people have come on to me and said, um, and Mrs. D is a, a prime example. I'm pointing to Mrs. D like if she'd ever been in this place. But she was always there or thereabouts. And Mrs. D was 96. 
blind could hardly walk she had diarrhea and I for one was glad she stayed home and when I got there I went and went to visit her I was more than glad that she'd stayed home and she said to me you know I love the Lord you know I love God you know I'm still in love with him I am left she'd missed one meeting in a year and it was playing on her that she didn't love God. Yeah, I think she didn't love. Why? Because in some ways we forget grace and we think well, we've got to impress God with what we are doing. See, grace is so incomprehensible. You know, every other religious system is based on works, except this one. Without exception, it is man making his way to God. Always. I don't know if you read the paper today and saw a young boy sobbing in a tank because his next move was to blow himself up and he couldn't do it and his mate said whatever his name is his other mate said if you're afraid remember you're doing it for Allah you're doing it for Allah think of when you get there and you've done this great thing for him and he blew himself up a young boy it's, it's, it's heartbreaking but men think that they're going to impress their God without exception it is man making his way to God but all that man made stuff is obliterated when Jesus said the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost Amen. he's come here we aren't going to go there and impress him he's come here and dealt with our problems Amen. and embraces us in grace and in mercy this is the gospel of God you know don't get thinking either that it's plan B this has always been the gospel this was taught by the prophets of old you know and I'm, it always has been the gospel and so as we go through this amazing book one of the things that will happen is that we'll have more of the Old Testament to make sense to us you know, if we struggle in, in any way with what happens in the Old Testament, we'll learn more of it. As we strip away the, the natural, mundane, everyday lives of its heroes and realize that God was preparing the world for the revelation of His only begotten Son. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, three great stalwarts, with all their weaknesses and their uh, strengths what is it all about what is it all about God is saying I was just preparing the way for my son just preparing the way for him to come the main act of history you know we're preparing his only begotten son who is he he's the lamb of God the lamb that takes away the sins of the world I, Paul, or Paul, born servant of Jesus Christ, a called apostle, we dealt with that last week, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, preparing the way for his son. And you know that is, that prepares the way 
for a description or an explanation of the gospel and in the next verse we'll see that it's not a process it's a person it's Jesus he hadn't come to show us the way or make a way he's come to be the way and I am so grateful and I pray that as we continue with this wonderful book that the Lord would reveal more and more and more to us for his name's sake Amen, Amen.